Are y'all doing okay today? All, all the homecomings are over. Is that right? Everything's past until maybe springtime. Um, anyway, it's good to see you guys um, this morning. So we are going to be in the book of Luke. Once again, Luke chapter 16. And we've talked about how we started doing the book of Luke a few uh, months ago. And we, we picked up in Luke chapter 9 where it says Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And, uh, and so today we're talking about is one of the most confusing parables in the whole Gospels. We're going to unpack this and, and see what God has to show, uh, show us in this parable. So you know you're rich when you have your people to manage your money, right? Um, you may have heard of some people out there that like most of the wealthy in our country and across the world, whether it's like athletes, movie stars, celebrities, they have their, their people, like multiple people, to help them manage their money, right? And, uh, but sometimes those people can take advantage of them, and they can squander the rich person's wealth. So I heard a story recently about a singer, Elton John. He lost, once lost $29 million through the people that managed his money, which just think about that. Like that's, that's like pocket change probably for him. But that's how much he just lost, and it probably wasn't a big deal to him because he's so rich. But he lost $29 million, and then he tries to sue to get it back and spends $10 million more and never gets his money back. So he actually lost out on that. Didn't really work out for him. Uh, but in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about this rich man who has somebody managing his money, and the manager takes advantage of the rich man. Uh, now, we learned something about parables in Luke 15. You guys, I know y'all, y'all hung with us, but we did Luke 15. We spent four weeks on that, and I know it, it may have seemed like repetitive, but really trying to zero in on that, that parable of the, the, the story of the two lost sons. And we learned something about parables back in Luke 15, but chapter 16 is one of the more confusing parables in, the whole gospel, in all the Gospels. So Luke 16, look at verse 1, where it says, he also said to the disciples, that's Jesus, uh, there was this rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your, man- your, the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So this rich man has somebody who's managing his wealth, and the man takes advantage of the man's money, and he wastes it. Now, the word wasting is the same word that we saw back in Luke chapter 15 to describe the younger son and how he would squander his father's wealth when his dad gave him his inheritance before his dad passed away. And we don't know if the manager here is like throwing crazy block parties or staying up late, buying stuff off the internet. We don't know what's going on here, but he's spending all this guy's money, and the man finds out about it and decides to fire him. So whatever he's doing, there must be some truth to it because he doesn't try to deny it and say, I wasn't doing that. What are you talking about? So he understands that he's guilty, and the rich man fires him, but before the manager leaves his position, he does this. Look at verse 3. It says, and the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and, I, and I'm ashamed to beg. I decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. 
So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write down 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So what is this manager doing? Well, he is looking at a situation and he's been let go. He's been fired, but apparently he still has access and it hasn't taken place fully yet. So he has access to whatever's going on and he looks at the situation and he realizes he doesn't really want to, he's not strong enough. He's been sitting in an office behind a desk for most of his life and he's not strong enough to dig and he's too ashamed to beg. So he decides, um, I've got to find a way to keep a connection with these rich people that I'm, I'm, that I'm dealing with. So um, verse 4 tells us his motive for what he's about to do. He's trying to make friends for himself. He's trying to keep a connection with these people he's had contact with as he's been managing this rich man's money. So he calls in each person that owes the, owes the master money. And these are wealthy businessmen. And they've been farming the master's land. And in return they would give this man a, a portion of what they produce. So the first person comes in, and this guy owes uh, the equivalent of 900 gallons of oil. This would be olive oil. This would be a year's worth of oil from about 150 olive trees. And that's equal to three years' wages for a normal worker. So he looks at this man, and he says, I'm going to cut your debt in half. He cuts that guy's debt in half. The second person comes in, and he owes 100 bushels, that's 30 tons of wheat, and this would take 100 acres to produce that in a year, or the equivalent of 10 years of wages for this person. So he takes just 20% off of what that guy owes, and we can assume he went down the list and did this with everybody who owed this guy money. Now, this manager has already been fired from the position, but before he leaves the position, he pulls this stunt. Now, how do you think the rich man is going to respond to this? Like most of us would say, well, he's going to be really angry. The guy's like losing money. But here's one of the, and, and this will make sense once you get to the end of the parable. But in verse 8, we see a really surprising response from the rich man. Look at verse 8. It says, the master commended, that means approved, thumbs up, commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, now this is Jesus now talking, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. All right, let's just stop there and pray and we'll just go home, okay? Um, so this is a confusing parable. So this is really surprising that the, the master responds this way. So the, uh, it sounds like the master is approving what this man did. Why would he praise this guy for being dishonest and unrighteous? And what point could Jesus possibly be making when he, he tells this parable? Well, there are really uh, several different views on the parable. I'll mention just two of them to you. Uh, some think that reducing the rich man's debt would, like if, if, the, if the manager goes and says, I'm going to cut your debt in half for these other people that owe the rich, rich man money, some think that reducing the debt would make the rich man look generous and then get him favor in, in, in the eyes of those people that, that owe him money. 
That's one viewpoint that some have. But here's the reality. He's also losing out on a lot of money, which doesn't make sense to me why he'd be, why he'd be um, excited about that. The next viewpoint is that when the manager cut their debts, he was only taking out his own commission and cutting out his own commission when he did that, taking the loss himself. That's one viewpoint that some have. Now, again, this sounds good, but the amounts are so large that he's cutting, it's hard to believe that would be his commission um, in this arrangement. So that's not really a good viewpoint either. Now, the rich man's reaction seems surprising to us in the story, but the words of Jesus are even more surprising. So what does he mean at the end of verse 8 where it says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So what does the word shrewd mean? Well, uh, the word shrewd would mean like wise and discerning um, in the everyday affairs of life. So we're not going to say it's like godly wisdom necessarily, uh, like when you think of Proverbs, but shrewdness would be like they know how to work the system. Like they know how to, you know, function in the markets and function in the society in which they're living in and make money and, and do well for themselves. That's shrewdness. Uh, people I think about are the people that you see on Shark Tank. Like whether they're the people that are the, you know, the, the grumpy people, they get to say yes or no to every investment, or the people that are like coming in and have these. It's amazing some of the things when you watch that show, like you're like, why didn't I think of that? You know, that person's going to get rich now, and I have, I'm just, I'm not, right? So um, when, when you think of a show like that, that, that's like shrewdness in action. Like they know how to make money, know how to invest, know what to invest in, and that's why they're billionaires and why we are not. There's a shrewdness quality that they have, and they just know how to work the system. They know how to make money and, um, and that sort of thing. So that's what shrewdness means. So the rich man's reaction is not an approval of what the manager did, but he's saying, it's kind of like saying, you know, I don't like what he did, but I've got to hand it to him. He was pretty smart because he, he knew that he was making a connection and, and, and endearing himself to these people that owed the rich man money. So we learned something important about parables here, I think. Uh, you've got to understand with parables that usually they have just one or two main points that we can't always look at a parable and look at every single detail and say, oh, this detail means something, this detail means something, this detail means something, because most of the time they only have just one or two points, and that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. So we shouldn't look at every single detail as something to follow in a parable. So, for example, over in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus describes his own return as coming like a thief in the night. Now, does Jesus mean that he is like a dishonest thief who will break into your house at night and set off your alarms and run away with your stuff. That's not what Jesus is communicating. He just means it's going to be like unexpected, you know, like a thief in the night. That's all he means. So it's, it's to make one point when Jesus uses these, you know, metaphors or even makes, you know, tells parables. This story is similar to that. So Jesus is not saying that his disciples should be dishonest. He is highlighting the wisdom or the shrewdness of the manager who's trying to win friends, but he's not condoning his actions here. 
So you might summarize it with these kind of three big ideas. Jesus says that the people of the world are wiser in how they use their resources than people of faith. The dishonest manager does what is wise according to world, the world's values, and Jesus wants his followers to be wise according to kingdom values. That's a good summary of what is being communicated here, I think. So in other words, believers should apply themselves to serve God in their actions as much as the people of the world apply themselves in their actions. And you have to understand, like, when you do see people, like I described on Shark Tank, and, like how hard they work and how shrewd they are to make money and to do well for themselves, and, and you think about how you apply that, and go, you know, if we would apply that same kind of work ethic to the kingdom of God or even the body of Christ, not saying we should be workaholics like they probably are, not saying that, but at the same time just being shrewd and wise in how we carry ourselves and intentional and purposeful, that's the point I think that Jesus is trying to make here, that many times people of the world are more wise by the world's standards than even people of faith are by the standards of the kingdom. Now, in verse 9, Jesus makes another really weird statement. He says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, it doesn't mean wealth that was obtained through some illegal way, you know, like shady money, you know, nothing like that. Um, unrighteous here, when that word's used in, in verse 9, it just means like, like earthly money, like cash, coins, like just regular money. That's what it means when it says unrighteous in that verse. So the question is, should we use money to make friends? Well, it depends on what kind. So there's two ways that you can use money to gain friends. The first is to use money to promote self. And we've all seen that happen. Uh, pro you know, propping yourself up. Um, we've seen that happen in our world. The second way is to use money to promote Jesus. So you can use money to gain friends, but it depends on what kind of friends you're, you're going after. Because the person that uses money to promote themselves, they're going to get a certain kind of friend, but it's not going to be a kingdom-minded friend. But someone who uses money to promote Christ, promote G the kingdom of God, yeah, they're going to they may gain some friends through their donations and their generosity, but it's not like they're buying people off. Not like that. But it's just going to mean that you're going to have different kinds of friends. You're going to have kingdom-minded friends if you're living your, living your life in a generous way like this. So this is a general principle that when you are generous, when you're a generous person, you're going to gain friends. That's just going to happen in life. Again, not talking about anything shady like paying people off. I'm going to pay you to be my friend. Not, nothing like that. But when you're generous, you're going to gain friends. So being generous with money is not, is not simply just about action, but it's about a heart attitude. I know it's so easy for us when we think of, like, you know, being generous. So yeah, I need to be more generous. I'm going to write a check or give some cash or I'm going to give, put money in the basket when it goes around in the room. I know we think of generosity as just a simple action, but I want you to think about how it is so tied to our heart. And that's really what it needs to be tied to. So God wants us, in other parts of Scripture, God wants us to be cheerful givers. And that's got to do with, that has to do with the heart, the attitude that you have as you give. So what is the best way for us to 
be a cheerful giver. So one of the things that I think is really important is that whenever you do get a job, you have money and that sort of thing, that when you do give, it's important that you give of your first fruits, meaning that you, that's the first thing you do is you give off the top. And here's why I say that, because here's a, a goofy little analogy that I have for you. So um, most of you guys, you chew gum. If you don't, you probably should, all right? Um, why? If you have to ask me why, I'll just let someone else answer that question. So, um, but uh, if you chew gum, you may or may not, I don't know, but if you chew gum, if someone comes to you, if you're known as like the gum supplier, everyone knows you always have gum. If you're one of those people, are there any like people that you always have gum? Raise your hand. You're like the gum supplier in the room, right? You're just, everyone knows to come to you. So um, if that's you, if someone comes to you and says, like, let's say you have a full pack like this, and someone comes to you and they say, can I have a piece of gum? If, you, if that's your, your pack of gum, you're like, sure. And you give them a piece of gum, right? Anybody else? Anybody else want a pack of gum or a piece of gum? And, and you, you're more generous when you have this much at your disposal. However, when someone comes to you and says, can I have a piece of gum? And you have one piece left. What does it feel like giving away that last piece of gum? That feels like a bigger deal, doesn't it? That feels like no one takes my last piece of gum. Like, I'm not giving away my last. And they might talk you into it because maybe your breath is already good and theirs is rank. I don't know. But, but listen, I mean, it's hard to give away your last piece, right? Because you're giving out of a lack, not giving out of an abundance. All right, the same principle applies here. Whenever you have money, and you've been given money by work or some other means, whenever you give off the top, it, you always feel more generous because you're giving out of your abundance. You're like, yeah, of course I'm going to give. Of course I want to give. And you've got a cheerful attitude about it. But if you give as the very last thing that you do, it kind of feels like, I don't want to give away my last $100. And your attitude is different when you give under those circumstances. So there's a way that we need to give, I think, to make sure that our attitude stays um, in the right way. And um, this is why I suggest that you give of your first fruits. You give, give out of the abundance instead of giving out of the lack. We're more generous whenever we do that. I think we, we, have, we tend to have a cheerful attitude about it whenever we do it that way. Uh, Dara Bach once said this, To know God and be generous is better than to know money and be spiritually bankrupt. So as we talk about money, some of you guys are thinking, you know, I'm a student. I don't have any money. I mean, how can money be an idol for me? Well, here's the reality. Some of you do have money. You do. Um, secondly, just because you may not have something doesn't mean it can't be an idol. And there's also, there's more to money than just money. There's what money stands for. And what money stands for could very easily be the idol that we're worshiping. So what's behind all of the, besides just little bits of green paper and coins, what's behind all that is consumerism and, and coveting and, and wanting what someone else has. All that's behind just the, the thing of money, right? So look down at verse 10 as we go on into the parable here. So he says this in verse 10. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to, 
to the true riches. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So one of the most important ideas that parents need to instill in their kids is how we do small stuff is how we do big stuff. So if someone lies and cheats in small things, they are going to lie and cheat in big things. I mean, why wouldn't they? It's not as if when the stakes are higher, some nobility switch just clicks in and says, you know, the stakes are really high. I'm going to be a good person in this situation because it just matters a lot more. That's not how life works. If someone is a liar and a cheater in small situations in life, they're going to be a liar and cheater when the stakes are even bigger, maybe even worse, because the stakes are bigger in those situations. I know many people, many students look at school, and they're asking questions like, you know, what's the big deal? It's just one test. It's not like I'll ever use this again. I mean, who cares if I cheat, right? But listen, that's a character issue. And character is character, whether you're dealing with something large or something small. It's all character. I'm always amazed whenever political season comes around and when politicians run for office and then something comes out about them, you know, cheating on their wife and some will say, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like all the people that like that person will say, it doesn't really matter because if they have a personal character problem because, you know, what matters are their policies. Now listen, as if their bad character won't come out in the office somehow. But listen, if they can't keep a promise made to their wife, what makes us think they'll keep promises to voters and keep promises to principal, right? We, we can't separate our lives that way. We, can't, we don't do life like that. So if, if someone can't be faithful and true in the most important relationship in their life, how are they going to be a person of character in relationships that are less meaningful to them? So character matters a lot. And I've heard some say it this way, how we do anything is how we do everything. So the way that you and I approach even the small things of our life, anything, is generally how we do everything in our life. And it could be something small, something big, but this is where character really matters and character really comes out. Now, when I am counseling soon-to-be married couples, I often talk about how selfishness in small things will mean selfishness in big things. And as you move into marriage and, and family, it's like the stakes only get bigger and bigger and bigger. So, um, but selfishness in small things will only lead to selfishness in big things. And if you're seeing it in a dating relationship, it's only going to get worse as they move into the marriage relationship and then, of course, having kids later on when the stakes are even higher. So keep this in mind. Character is character no matter how big or small the situation is. Look at verse 13. He says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Again, this describes money idolatry. Now remember, money is never just money. People use money to get something else. Like in my opinion, no one's ever just content to have just little green bits green pieces of paper. That's not the point of it. But money is a ticket to something else. And it might be security. It might be notoriety. Um, I heard a few years ago, there was this uh, ESPN documentary called Broke. And 
it talked about how 60% of NBA players are broke in five years. 60%. It said 78% of NFL players are broke in three years. I think of, uh, this guy may be too old for you guys to remember, but um, a guy named Vince Young who led Texas to the, champ- uh, the, the um, national title many years ago now as a quarterback was drafted in the NFL, I think back in the early 2000s sometime, and, um, and he was notorious for just crazy spending. He spent $30 million in three years, just three years. He once bought 120 seats on a Southwest flight so he could fly by himself. He wanted the plane all to himself, and he just bought all the seats just to make sure no one else could get on the plane with him. Now, he also spent, this is really funny to me, he spent 5000 per week sometimes at the Cheesecake Factory. Who knew? I, I, I was like, your taste in restaurants needs to change, my friend. All right? But NFL player, like, don't eat so much cheesecake. It's not going to go well for you, I don't think. Um, but this is how we lived. And, and listen, what makes people live this way? Well, it goes, it goes back to idolatry. And this passage teaches us that we can use money or money can use us, but we can't live with these divided loyalties in this way. So we can serve God, we can have money, and we can serve God, but we can't serve both. So Jesus says, if you love money and you worship money, you will end up hating God. Notice what he says here. If you love money, you will end up hating God. Now, why is that? Because God's just going to get in the way of you loving your money. He's just going to get in the way of what you want to do to satisfy your own desires. So there are really two kinds of money idolaters. Very simple. There are spenders and there are savers. And I'm not sure which category most of you guys fall into, where your parents fall into, but there are two kinds of money idolaters. There are spenders, there are savers. The spenders are the kind of people who are maybe looking for notoriety or pleasure or fun or experience and whatever they however they use money. But the savers, you might think of the saver as not being someone who can be a money idolater, but they can, and I know because I am one. So the the saver looks for security, and they're after security when it comes to money. It's just a different kind of idolatry. So spenders see money as a ticket to having something else, but savers see money as a ticket to security, but both can be idolatrous. So you see with money, there are like these surface idols, we, we might call money a surface idol, but they go deeper than that. There's also deep idols behind the, just the desiring of those things themselves. So money is like the surface idol, but it points to a deeper idol. And we shouldn't be people who just deal with idolatry by eliminating the surface idol. We've got to go to the heart level, okay? And so Jesus, I think, mentions this in verse 14. He says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money... That's why he's telling the story. The Pharisees who were lovers of money, they heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So these Pharisees, they were using, these people use money to justify themselves before other people, but God can see into their soul. He can see into their heart. He sees, what's, sees reality. So how we handle money is one of the biggest indicators of our heart. So how do hearts get changed? Well, 
we have to get to know God's generosity for us to become generous. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So the only way is to come to know the one who's become poor on our behalf so we might be rich, become rich spiritually. So you guys are going to head to your breakouts um, this morning. And uh, we normally do freshman girls over here, sophomore girls over here.